Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever the heck you are actually watching this from. Uh, thanks for watching. Welcome to the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. These episodes are generally live at the time of their airing, um, although today in some episodes we actually have to pre-record them, either due to time zones or whatever's going on. It's actually a holiday here in the, the States. Um, at the time of the airing of this episode. So hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving if you're here in uh, the U.S. Uh, today, uh, we have a special guest on, and this is how we do it at the What's Up webcast. The last Friday of each month, uh, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. And today, we have none other than Dylan O'Donnell uh, joining us from Australia, and uh, we're excited to have him here. So without further ado, we're just going to jump right into it and I'm going to bring Dylan on. So uh, good morning to you, Dylan, or what is good morning to you? Good afternoon to me, but thanks for spending the time with us today. G'day, Kevin. It's good to be here again. Uh, this is the second time we've recorded yeah. it because we, we actually did this uh, last week or, or maybe the week before, last week maybe. And, uh, and then Kevin emailed me and said he's forgotten to enable the audio recording. So none of all my pearls of wisdom were recorded whatsoever. And uh, that particular episode has been lost to the ages, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Yeah, for whatever reason, whenever you, if you ever think it's ever a good idea to start something like this, make sure you know all the ins and outs. And I'm sure you, Dylan, have kind of figured this out with recording and doing your YouTube channel too, that you throw a bunch of things in the mix and it's a lot like astrophotography. You throw too many things in at once and everything goes to hell at that point. Well, so. that's what you tell us, but uh, it could be that the episode was so offensive and so uh, controversial that uh, you actually just put it in the can and said, let's try this again and uh, see it, if there's any of that all over again. It could have been that. I can either confirm nor deny, but, but anyway, thanks for being a cool sport about it and uh, no coming back again. Um, I wanted to have you back on, just not this soon. But um, anyway, so when we were doing this last, obviously none of you got to see that episode, but it was kind of a back and forth conversation rather than me drilling Dylan with questions all the time. And that's how this one's going to be too. Um, kind of a, a mental game of uh, ping pong, if you will, <laughs> or pong, if, you're, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll, I'll just start it right off. Um, Dylan, you're from Australia. Uh, a lot of people obviously know that. Most of our viewerships in the north, up here in the north, uh, I can't even talk today, up here in the northern hemisphere. And many of us have never had a chance to get down there and observe to do all that fun stuff. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge is for doing astrophotography in the southern hemisphere to say something up here in the northern? Um, so uh, everything's upside down here, so it's hard to keep everything, you know, on the ground because it's all just falling off into the sky here down under. Uh, but no, the, actual, the actual main challenge is, of course, that there's no pole star. You guys have Polaris and we have nothing. So polar alignment is a whole other issue here for us uh, astrophotographers. And particularly when you're a beginner trying to get into it, you cannot rely on, um, you know, just easy uh, polar telescopes and whatever to align them out. You can sort of rough it in if you know where south is, but obviously magnetic south is not the same as the southern celestial pole. Uh, so th there is an angular difference there. So there are lots of different tips and, and tricks that uh, people use. I particularly just like throwing uh, my phone up into the sky with, uh, with an AR, augmented reality uh, planetarium. And I just 
set it to go in fast forward. So I can see the South Celestial Pole up in the sky and I can sort of hold it there and I can rough it in that way. And then you can fine tune from there. And I think this was a point I made um, last time we recorded this was that uh, it's not very well documented that all the hand controllers on the mounts have an inbuilt polar alignment routine. Uh, so Celestron do it, Skywatcher do it, and the, the routines in the hand controllers are really good. They get you just as close as a uh, as a pole master or something like that would get you. It's quite accurate. So I thoroughly recommend uh, doing diving into that manual and trying to find that section that's about um, polar alignment because you can do it with the hand controller and it's really good. Yeah, for those of you who haven't done it, if you've got a Skywatcher mount, uh, usually you do like a one or two or whatever star alignment. And then after that's done, you can go back into alignment and you'll find polar alignment. And you just follow the, the menus there and you basically adjust it to the star that you pick. And it works pretty good. Um, it is one thing that I think we need to document more. So thanks for bringing that up um, and putting our feet to the fire, if you will, for yeah. that. I know that's we're always trying to make things better. So. <laughs> So did you say you're in Canada or, or America? I'm in the U.S. in Arizona. So as far as I know, if you are a big company like Skywatcher and you look in your Google Analytics for your um, key audiences, you'll find that America is the number one astronomy audience, uh, closely followed by um, usually it's the U.K., and then maybe Australia, but they can swap sometimes depending on um, the time of the year and the, the, the trend or the interest. But the mm -hmm. top four countries are America, UK, Australia and Canada. And I think Australia is doing pretty well because we are a really small country with not very many people. So to be up there in the top four uh, in terms of traffic and interest in astronomy is really good. It's a, it's a really wonderful country to do astronomy from. We've got you know, we, I'm sorry, we've just got better skies than you do, we, both because we can see more and the light pollution is quite low as soon as you get out of the city. We're a big empty country, so you can just drive one hour in any direction and you will be in darkness. And uh, that and we're in the Southern Hemisphere where we see all the, the best stuff, the, the biggest galaxies, the biggest naked eye galaxies, the biggest globular clusters, the biggest nebulae. Uh, we just got all the best stuff, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, well, we all know how it is when it comes to comets, how well off the Southern <laughs> Hemisphere is yeah, up here in the north. We're kind of like, what yeah. is uh, happening down there? So, but, you know, and you're in Byron Bay, which is on the, would that be the east coast of Australia? Um, yeah, it's, it's the easternmost point of Australia. So technically my observatory, my little backyard dinky observatory is the easternmost observatory in Australia. Uh, Byron Bay was a... Um, like a bit of a hippie town. Uh, everyone came here for a music festival back in the seventies and then took a lot of drugs and then never left. Uh, but recently <laughs> forgot how to go um, home. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And um, recently it's become very trendy. So there's a lot of celebrities moving in and uh, Chris Hemsworth lives here and Matt Damon owns property here. And uh, you can go down the street and, and bump into musos down at the bakery and stuff like that. It's pretty, it's a pretty trippy place to live in, but I think it's becoming less hippie and uh, maybe more yuppie these days <laughs> well i guess you're rooted in there so but the skies there are actually pretty good from the the videos i've seen of what you can get from your observatory in your backyard the fact that you can actually see the milky way is better than my backyard is so kudos <laughs> to you a nice spot yeah um yeah so at the, so when it comes to astrophotography and if there's anything you want to throw me under 
feel free to do so. But when yeah. it comes to astrophotography for you, um, are the nebulas what you like to do most or you just kind of pick whatever you think is cool? <clears throat> I think everyone has a favorite thing they like to photograph. And you can, the good thing about astronomy, it's such a broad field. You can go down any rabbit hole you want. So you, if you want to become a planetary photographer, you can get those big Schmidt Cassegrains and you can really concentrate on that high focal length stuff and, and, you can spend your whole life just trying to get good at planets and, and getting into the science of reporting to NASA, the different features on Jupiter and stuff like that. And that is hugely compelling. And that's something that I come back to every year. Uh, but for me, it was always flicking through those magazines and seeing those images of nebulae, the, you know, these glowing clouds of emission, these ionized gas in space. Um, it's really mind blowing. And it's not until you get into the hobby that you realize, oh, this this isn't stuff that is just the purview of NASA. Anyone with a telescope can can see it. You don't even need any particular special equipment. If you've got binoculars, you can find Orion and see a cloud in space. It's uh, it's really quite remarkable. So Nebulae really d does it for me. And um, you know, you go down that path of getting your narrowband filters and doing all of that sort of stuff. I, I tend to like the true color images uh, better. Uh, but if you concentrate on true color images all the time, it does become, your gallery becomes like a sea of red. You know, there's so much mm -hmm. red hydrogen emission and you get the odd reflection nebulas as well. I really enjoy uh, nebulae in particular, but what's your, what's your forte? What, what's your little special interest with astronomy? I like the dusty stuff, uh, like mm. dark nebulas, uh, reflection nebulas, the real odd off the cuff stuff. Yeah. Um, and this comes from, and I'm going to drive you nuts here. This comes from being a deep sky visual observer, a uh, big daub and uh, trying to hunt down those. Judgment. Yeah. It's a safe space here. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, my interest uh, from deep sky observing has always been the odd and peculiar stuff. You know, Messier stuff is great. The basic NGCs are fine, but I've always admired like the Barnard catalog. Um, I love globular clusters in Andromeda. Anything that kind of gets people to think yeah. off the beaten path. Um, and is Iris then, the best like dark nebula? I like. I really like Iris or what I see of Iris. Yeah, the Iris is kind of the uh, I would say the jumping in point of that uh -huh. uh, arena. So you know, like the Ghost Nebula, which is actually the background of this webcast right there stuff like that um the ldn lbn catalogs you know all those little wispy mm, weird cool. idiosyncrasies basically the entire constellation of cepheus so yeah, is what uh, that is cool. <laughs> nice. we've got uh, quite a lot of dark nebula particularly because of the core of the milky way uh, where we have just dark nebula all throughout it. So the dust lanes of, of the Milky Way galaxy itself. Um, so there's lots of um, cool features. And even in, in Carina, the big emission nebula, it's just mm -hmm. like, it's just striated with dark clouds running throughout it. And there's one little one called the Doodad Nebula as well. Uh, but you've got Holzak, which is just massive. Like you don't even need a telescope for that. It's huge. Um, but yeah, the dark nebulas down here are, are particularly good too. Here's an interesting thing, because I I just got into imaging a few years ago, um, mainly because I do this for work, and it's it's honestly the biggest growing part of the hobby. Oh. So if any of you want to know why we make too much stuff for imaging, it's because that's where the money is, honestly. Well, um, there's a change, isn't there? Like, if you go to a star party, um, 
I believe it used to be like all visual, right? And then slowly cameras came on board and that imaging field just started getting bigger and bigger every year. And I know at uh, the local star parties here, the imaging field is the bigger field now. Like there, everyone just wants that opportunity to enjoy a low portal sky and, and use their equipment to its full potential. Um, so you can see that, you can see it with your own eyes when you're out at a star party, that how mm -hmm. popular astrophotography is. And that's not unusual because the first thing you do in real life as you're walking around um, having a coffee or whatever in the morning and someone does nice latte art on the top of your coffee, you whip out your phone and you take a photo of it. It's, we have this instinct now just to document and photograph. So I don't think it's surprising at all that astrophotography is so popular but tell us about your uh tell us your testimony how did you um finally go you know what i think i can uh switch over to imaging now what was it uh well as you probably get a lot of people are into it and as someone who does this as a career mm. um it's i like to speak on authority when i'm helping customers or helping people out so i'd rather get my feet wet and understand personally what that's coming from yeah rather than just being another person on a form who said oh i read this on this and i know mm -hmm. everything about it yeah you know who you are um but uh yeah i i get a lot of those people anyway um but the reality is i would rather speak from experience because when someone calls up needing help i can say i've been there and i can put myself in those shoes and from there it's just kind of evolved where i have little kids now i don't have time to get out to the dark sky sites all the time so you know what i have access to through our remote observatory and such it's just convenient because i don't have the time to get all my stuff ready and it's much like your observatory where if you had to set it up every night you would probably not have any time to do it because i know you yeah. have a family too so the fact that you can just walk out there flip some switches and you're up and rolling yeah, I think, I think having um, an observatory becomes an inevitability after a while, particularly as you get further into the hobby and you buy more stuff. Like if you're buying a four or $5,000 camera and a four or $5,000 telescope and then a four or $5,000 mount to run it all, uh, you know, that's a $15,000 investment. And, and you do not want to be held hostage by this these hours long process of having to set it up in the backyard every night. So at some point it actually becomes like a, cost benefit to have mm -hmm. something permanent out there so you can actually use the stuff that you paid a lot of money uh, to do and it's it's really life-changing anyone who has an observatory will tell you it's you, you sort of changes the way you think about astronomy because you don't you don't get bogged down by the process so much it's more about okay i can actually explore space i can actually try these uh exotic targets that i, I mm -hmm. didn't have the opportunity before i didn't want to waste time on so, uh, yeah, it's, I thoroughly recommend it for anyone who's um, understanding already that they're spending enough money in this hobby. Uh, do consider a permanent observatory. It makes a hell of a difference. And I know our mutual friend Trevor from Astro Backyard just made this jump, too. And sure. he started with the pod, um, which you started with the pod. Now you've got the next dome, which is kind of a evolution of that, essentially. But even something as basic as a pod, you know, at least allows it's way better than a cover is gonna be so yeah but yeah you can start doing <laughs> projects so mm -hmm. um you don't have to think like i know you're a big fan of the rasas and stuff like that but it's mm. like i don't need to worry about 
what can I squeeze into one evening? It's like, oh, tonight I'm going to do all luminance. Then tomorrow <laughs> night I'll do RGB. And then, exactly. you know, yeah, yeah. you can stretch out. That's where you get all these deep images where how did someone have time to do 50 <laughs> hours of exposure? Because they have an observatory and it's not moving anywhere most of the time. So. That's right. And from a uh, vendor perspective, do you find that there's been a little bit of an influx of people into the hobby recently? Oh, yeah. COVID really uh actually so going back to march 2020 when all the crap hit the fan at least here in the states um a lot of us were worried that we weren't going to have a job because it's like who's going to be buying telescopes when everyone's <laughs> just trying to get by well that completely went you know ass backwards um at that point but it uh it was crazy because all of a sudden it was just everybody wanted to do something that was away from people and it wasn't just the astronomy industry but it was because i have some other friends that were looking at like camping equipment rvs um had a one of our sales guys was looking for i think like a quad or a jet <laughs> ski or something back ordered for like oblivion so yeah and it, it's still that way because we have this big surge of everyone who's interested in this you know a lot of people have been like oh i've had this interest for since i was a kid but i didn't have the money and now i do and now i'm stuck at home and blah 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 so everything that we had just evaporated like yep. burned up everywhere um and i know our counterparts who you deal with down in australia um tsa mm. has nothing to do with the travel thing and security guys it's <laughs> that's the name of the company um tsa down there and our buddy uh will uh, Godwin, um, same thing. Everything just evaporated because everyone's just looking for something to do and they've got some money to mess with now. So, yeah, yeah there was a I massive this, flux. This, um, this particular episode will go out around next week, is it? So, so month uh, yeah. Christmas? Yes. Yeah, so if you are thinking about buying any sort of astronomy gear before Christmas, it's probably already gone already. You're probably too late, I would say. If you can get something, then good luck to you. Uh, everything's back ordered. The supply chains are, are not crippled because of just the factories being closed over COVID. They're crippled because everyone is getting into this uh, hobby all at once and everybody wants everything and everyone has bought everything. There's nothing left. <laughs> no, and that's a good thing to bring up. This year is going to be really odd. Um, mm. We've already started seeing people calling in. They're like, I want to get a telescope for Christmas. It's like, do you have one on order? Um, no. Well, you'll see it next year. Sorry. So it's just the reality of it. Sometimes you can score something if you know what you're looking for and you luck out. But yeah, yeah, if you're looking for something like like your EQ8RH that you got, you know, that's a serious piece of kit, right? Not that you would get that for Christmas. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> you should. Um, you should. But yes. <laughs> um, but serious equipment like that, stuff that's not made in massive droves, yeah. like, the EQ6R, we make tons of those, but the EQ8R, much more limited audience. Mm. Um, that stuff's back ordered for a long time just because we don't make that much. And suddenly, you know, a bunch of people want one. It's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Now we so need I to think, make a bunch of them. <laughs> I think um, I, I don't like to think of myself as an influencer, but I love this mountain, right? And I've used it a lot on my channel. I kind of promote it on my channel because I love it so much. Uh, but everyone I speak to is like, I can't get one of these mounts. Like, I, there's, there's just none left. Uh, but are they making more? Is, is there going to be an evolution of this particular mount? Um, 
we're not it's such a new mount so the eq8r and rh have only been out for a couple years now yeah um so they're they're not yeah there's not going anywhere they're Mm. we're making them it's just they don't make them in massive quantities because of they are big and expensive to produce so um and those renshaw encoders that you've got on your right ascension are not cheap um so that's so if we're making them out isn't it because uh, i think um companies like tesla are already putting up their prices because it's the cost of the parts that are inflating right now we've just had this big stimulus and the economy is uh is about to experience this growth in costs overall um do you see the same thing happening in the telescope industry the parts are getting more expensive and therefore the telescopes are going to go up in price yeah it's it's probably going to happen i haven't seen it yet but um i have seen other companies saying that prices are going to probably go up and that's you know a lot of people look at us being like oh they're just trying to get more money out of it's like no things are everything is more expensive now just because of that demand um it doesn't matter what it is at this point it it clothes you know compute you can't find a laptop on the floor anywhere you probably have to order it and wait um i know i bought a a canon lens earlier this year took me three months to find one because you know hard to forget that stuff so it's we're not the only ones. so for those out there who are like what are you guys doing you're nuts it's like we're not the only ones um (laughs) it's all over the place so now here in australia we had a bunch of um astronomy events cancelled including including my event star stuff uh because of covid and the lockdowns and um and the, the rolling lockdowns and all of that are sort of finishing now and events are starting to kick back on again and music starting to happen again uh what was the effect of covid over there did you have uh i know neef was cancelled were star parties cancelled but was your normal sort of road show kind of events um by the wayside are they coming back now yeah there's already discussions about you know neef next year um aic advanced imaging conference which think it'd be really cool to get you to because it's right up your alley and it's on the west coast so i love it um but yeah a lot of that got shelved um because no one was traveling and things were all over the place so i'm i'll be curious to see how next year is as we kind of tiptoe back into this new reality uh, and see what those shows are going to be like the year after everything comes back um but we'll we'll see um, how that goes. But there's discussions happening already for stuff next year. But oh yeah, over the last two years, it's really been kind of a mess. Um, I do a lot of outreach and I couldn't do anything. Uh, but I was doing starting to do virtual star parties, which is another advantage of doing the imaging, yeah. where we can take our um, equipment and basically live stream that out via YouTube or whatever, like we're doing right now. Yeah. And the nice thing about that is a you get the effectiveness of the camera so we're able to see a lot more and b i haven't you don't have any geographical limitations anymore so people from all over the world can join in and be a part of it which i think is a really cool yeah method for imaging as well it doesn't have to be pretty pictures all the time it's a very hard thing to coordinate though isn't it doing a virtual star party because you are trying to coordinate um across weather it's hard to schedule it's hard if you have mm-hmm. other astronomers guest astronomers then you're trying to juggle their equipment as well it can be um it can be hard to to do i've been doing a little bit on twitch lately so you know whenever it is clear and i can get out uh, instead of just producing my 10 minute videos 
uh, each week on YouTube, I'll um, I'll just stream the actual session itself on Twitch as well. And that's been really nice because I've just been able to hang out with people and it's not terribly exciting to watch. I'm just taking sub after sub and, you know, showing people how I open the observatory and stuff like that. But it is, um, it does show you the, the process of astronomy, the grind of astronomy. Yeah. <laughs> um, that kind of rolls us into something. So, you know, there's a lot of people who, you get that influencer crowd, you get the Instagram photographers and stuff like that. Everyone's trying to kind of, I guess, get a piece of the pie or attention or whatever it is. Um, but what made you start your YouTube channel? Cause there's a lot of outlets for astronomy now, but YouTube I feel is probably the most effective one, but it's also, I think the hardest one because it takes more time for you to basically build. It's not like you take a picture photoshop the heck out of it and throw it on instagram and get a bunch of people going yay um for you it's you're already doing something hard like imaging but then you're documenting all that at the same time so yeah how do you segue into youtube at that point um so i'm a chronic oversharer anyway and uh, hopefully it's not because i'm a narcissist or anything like that but i do like to share stuff that's happening on my instagram and whatever so it was natural for me when i got into astronomy to just start sharing these images on Instagram. It's a very visual thing to do to take photos of space and, and Instagram's sort of the perfect platform for that. And particularly because the images are so small so you can hide all of your sins in these tiny, uh, tiny pixels on screens. But going over to YouTube, it was really, um, they threatened, YouTube threatened to shut my channel down or not shut it down, they, they pulled all the funding for it. They, they pulled me out of the partner program because I had so few views. And I, I jumped onto my Facebook and I told everyone, I told all my friends, hey, can you guys just subscribe to me on YouTube? Because they're about to pull my um, my ad revenue, which at that time was about $5 a year. Like it was, it was a very low amount of money coming in, but I just didn't want to be pulled from the program. So people subscribed. And uh, from about that point, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll make an intro and I'll just document the, the stuff on YouTube, the astronomy. Um, and... I, I've sort of been sucked into this once a week or once every two weeks schedule where I'm, I'm putting shows that are becoming increasingly complex and uh, really painful to, to put together because there's so much editing and, and so much work that goes into them. But what I've tried to do is make them really quick and dirty. So I started editing with iMovie. I've moved to Premiere now, but I, I don't want to make anything that's too flashy and too complicated because... I don't have time to waste. Usually it's just three or four hours of my day to film one take and then edit it all together and then put out a show. So anything that I'm learning, I'll put through the um, YouTube channel. Uh, but you've probably seen lately, like when it's cloudy and I've got nothing to, to show, I just start um, making a fool of myself and making little astronomy comedy skits and uh, <laughs> that, that staves off boredom. Pushing, pushing <laughs> a lot of people's buttons. So. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd apologize to the visual astronomers out there, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like watching your videos because I'm just waiting for you to like pull the wrench out and literally shove it into the wheel of, you know, modern astronomy and watch it just, you know, everything goes flying at that point because that's kind of your style is you're not afraid to kind of mess around. But that's also one thing that I like about your style of just your personality is i think a lot of times in this hobby we take it way too seriously and everyone's just so like stuck in this bubble and it's fun we all enjoy it but i mean it doesn't have to be that 
condensed and serious. So I think you try to make light of a lot of, you know, things that happen in the hobby. And I, I think that's kind of funny, actually. A lot of people can make it really, really dry. And there is this new um, cohort of astronomers that are coming on now who are young people and they they like memes and they like computers and they know how to to get through the technical side of astronomy and astrophotography processing. They're really good at using PixInsight and programs like that uh, because young people are just really, really good at computers. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to, to be a part of that crowd because they're, they're just so cool and they're so laid back and they don't have a stick up their ass like a lot of the, uh, the older generation of astronomers. So God love them. I, I, I'm partly an older astronomer myself but uh yeah give me the uh the young dudes with the memes any day yep i'll see how many people we just lost yep. <laughs> just hit the dislike button now if it's still there yeah. hit the dislike button <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's true though and i've been to and i'm not trying to knock anybody's you know frame of mind or anything but i've been to a lot of astronomy clubs and that's why i started my own outreach program focus because i wasn't really stoked on a lot of the clubs that I had been around because it, mm. it's you step in there and it just seems like everyone wants to be the one in control and everyone wants it to be this way or this way and it just became too political and it's like mm -hmm. that's like the one place you want to go to not think about all the other trash in the world but then you step into <laughs> it and it's just like a a microcosm of that it can be very over and dull and um yeah I, if if my event ever comes back because it was so much fun it was star stuff in byron bay and uh, we got together a whole bunch of astrophysicists and cosmologists and scientists and astrophotographers and you know world-class people and uh, we ran this event where essentially it's at a five-star resort and we just drank for two days and had so much fun you know loud music big presentations, keynote style presentations. It was what I was trying to achieve was the exact opposite of going to an astronomy society and sitting on a plastic chair and having this dull lecture um, sent to you. But no, I think there is a, a change of the guard in, in terms of that sort of presentation. And people, you know, they're on um, TikTok and stuff like that. They have an attention span of about three seconds. So you have to present information differently these days. Yeah. And, you know, kudos to the the older generation that can actually focus longer than three seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they don't have the goldfish syndrome where it's like every time you go around the bowl, it's new. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I do find that is, and it's not even knocking anybody. It's just the reality of how things are. My generation's the same way. You know, you go on Instagram, just do, 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 do. <laughs> um, and you Wait, know, you look at that thing. Are you? are you a millennial? Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm Gen X. So. Okay, you're little yeah. before me. Well, well, you know. That's fine. See, so we're making fun of boomers together. And uh, yes. and, and for some reason, Gen X um, skipped that whole ridicule. You you millennials just went straight to, to ragging on the boomers, which is what our Gen Xs have been doing for years. So um, hopefully we skip the ridicule and <laughs> it goes straight to the, uh, what's Gen Z? And then the Gen, Z, Gen Gen Z will start ragging on you guys soon. Uh, yeah, I, I I lost count of it. I try to keep a low profile because I have a lot of friends who are older that I've learned a lot of stuff from. So, you mm -hmm. know, to make sure I don't end up in a box in the Arizona desert somewhere, <laughs> I try to, you know, See? be, you know, this I is already controversial. Yeah, I I appreciate the knowledge that I get from people. So it's not just like, ah, 
what's, what's the thing? We had dwarves standing on the backs of giants. Yep. Was that uh, was it Newton, wasn't it? I'm I'm pretty sure it's been paraphrased by lots of different people. Uh, I'm not sure who originally did it, but um, yeah, it's a good one, and it's true. Well. It's true. Yeah. The, the the older astronomy societies have taught me a lot, and to be honest, I find a lot of value in going to the astronomy societies, and I will drive for hours because my my particular astronomy society is um like a two, almost a two hour drive away, but I'll do it because otherwise I'll go crazy uh, talking to a camera or talking to Instagram and never actually interacting with another human being. There is some value as us as monkeys, as social creatures in going and talking one-on-one -on -one to these people. And I honestly have learned a lot from my society. Um, granted, I've gone in a little bit of a different direction with YouTube and, and processing and stuff. And, and sometimes the stuff that they talk about the society is not my cup of tea, but that's the whole point of this, the melting pot of being in a society. And uh, yeah, it's good to interact with humans so you don't go completely insane. Yeah, no, there's a there's a time and place for everything. So you just kind of got to find what fits your need and, you know, scratches that itch for you and just roll with it. So no one's knocking anything. There's no negative to any of it. Just pick your poison. <laughs> and, you know, we're all weird sitting out in the middle of nowhere staring up at the nighttime sky for hours on end. So any logic flew out the door long time ago. So yeah. we're all a bunch of weirdos, but honestly, yeah. the astronomy crew, they're, they're a pretty good bunch of weirdos, I reckon. There are weirdos. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do you see astrophotography going? I mean, you've got uh, some of the newer cameras. I've got a 6200 from ZWO, and you've got a similar, the 2600 variant, I think, on the QHY. Those sensors are stupid how good they are. So I am can't even imagine what where do you think in like five to 10 years that's going to be? Cause it's so good now. I, can, yeah. I can't imagine what we're going to see in the future. So initially when I got into it, CCD was the gold standard, right? For doing um, astrophotography, but also for doing scientific stuff. A CCD sensor has a very well quantifiable sort of, you know, charges and pixel wells and things that you can use for science. Um, the dynamic range was better with the, with a CCD camera, but, over the last few years, this is this has sort of been usurped by CMOS cameras, which are the cameras that we have in our phones. Uh, they've become good enough, and the the speed of iteration because of smartphone development, and where we have new cameras in our phones every single year at every iPhone launch, uh, means that the rate of the pace of change for these cameras has really been strong. So CMOS cameras like the ones you and I are using now, far they they definitely match and they pretty much exceed the quality level that you can get from traditional ccd cameras especially in in terms of the the noise the low noise and the high signal to noise ratio but these pixels are becoming smaller and smaller and so software does need to catch up a little bit with that sort of stuff um but certainly the revolution we've seen in the last few years is all about the cameras telescopes are just glass tubes right they haven't really fundamentally changed that much at all we have some new coatings and maybe some different mirror constructions and a few different configurations like the RASAs. We're now concentrating on projecting that image circle onto a flat plane instead of it being where you normally just had your eye was in focus and everything else slowly went out of focus. We now concentrate on flat image planes because we know we're projecting that stuff onto cameras these days. 
Um, so there is some evolution in telescope design, but it's really cameras that are driving that evolution. Uh, at least that's what I feel. There is still there is still some disruption that needs to happen in the industry. Um, the industry was first disrupted by stacking, and stacking is a process that came from the microscopy crowd. So people using microscopes to focus stack images. So instead of taking a one frame of a bug, which would then have a shallow depth of field and sort of be fuzzy around the edges, uh, they would they would take a video and cycle the focus point up and down through the bug and then focus stack those frames. And that was the genesis of what then became lucky imaging for astrophotography, where we were taking videos of things and then stacking the best of those frames and stacking the best pixels and averaging out the best pixels. So we've had a renaissance in terms of the software that we use. And um, it's not just the software, it's the algorithms that we use, things like stacking, things like Drizzle that came from um, Hubble's team who, who invented Drizzle to deal with a um, sub pixel level resolutions and the Hubble cameras, which are old, they're old cameras from the nineties. So we've had these revolutions in software. We're now having this evolution in cameras and the quality and the um, depth, um, the, um, the dynamic range of the camera. But I still feel there needs to be some sort of revolution in the smartness of the whole setup. And we're seeing this with some of the, um, you know, push button scopes like Stellina and stuff like that, where you can just push a button and, and it just points at the sky, takes the photo, shoots it to your phone, push button astrophotography. We're not there yet with all of the bigger rig stuff. And I'd like to see a mount do sort of what the Stellina does, but, but be modular as well. So you can chuck any scope on it and chuck any camera on it. I think um, mounts need to get a little bit smarter, particularly because we've got phones now and the phones drive everything. But that doesn't mean we need to just make the phone be the replacement for the hand controller. That's been a bit dicky. Some implementations I've seen of that. I think it's more um, just making the mount use the internet connection and the knowledge that the phone has to be able to align itself and to do a lot of that grunt work for us so that we can get on with the process of doing astrophotography. So there's probably some some more stuff that can happen there. But I don't know, there could be some some telescope innovation that you guys are hiding from me behind the scenes there at Skywatcher that's uh, about to drop in six months and I don't know. Can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> that I have any of that. A lot of documents with my signature on it that if I say certain things that I don't have a job oh, anymore. Right. So, but um, no, it, it makes sense because we are seeing that revolution of, you know, the Stellinas and stuff like that. Um, and I know there's a lot of, we kind of talked about this on the previous recording of this, but um, I think there's a lot of people in our experience level that are probably like, oh, what, the, what are they thinking? You know, blah, blah, blah. But it, but that's it's it's a lot like your Tesla, for example, where a lot of people were like, "Why I can't get this? That's too expensive. No one's ever going to buy it." Well, as it advances, that price comes down each generation, and the mm. quality goes up. So, um, and there is a, a lot of the, there is a market for push button astrophotography. There's a lot of people who don't want to spend the time learning how to polar align and stuff like that. And honestly, if I had four grand burning a hole in my pocket. I would buy one of them because I don't want to put an eyepiece in my observatory. I don't mm. want to have to, you know, show my family through the main scope. I'd rather just say, Hey, give this one to the kids and they can look at whatever. <laughs> yeah. But if, you know, if this is what they're doing now, five years from now, it's, it'll probably be something that's 
you know we're talking stuff that got started on like kickstarter so mm. you know more power to you on that but yeah with the know-how and stuff i mean there's so many people i'm sure you get this question all the all the time of you know there's so many people out there that have a hard enough time just trying to get phd2 to work um even though it's just a button uh it but i have a feeling that a lot of our clientele would be happier with you know no one wants to auto guide anymore everyone's expecting like paramount level quality for like a thousand dollars yeah stop um but <laughs> but yeah if you're you're telling someone it's like hey i could get this and then out pops this and then suddenly i have all this and these cool images yeah yeah, it's a bit of a learning like... curve. And honestly, the, the reason PhD doesn't work for most people is because they haven't polar aligned properly. Once you've nailed the polar alignment, PhD is is push button. <laughs> you, there's not mm -hmm. much, you run through that wizard, you push the button and it's guiding. Um, and there are things that you need to guide for, particularly for dithering and drizzle, uh, which is um, for anyone who's viewing the, the sort of higher level um, stacking. If you drizzle your image, you can infer like an extra pixel of data per pixel. So you can make a bigger image that's not just upscaling. It's not like going to Photoshop and saying, make this two times bigger. Drizzle makes the image twice as big by inferring the, the data that's missing between the pixels. And you can only do that if you're dithering. You can only dither if you're guiding. So there's a lot of stuff that um, needs to happen. And, and a lot of these... Uh, solutions like the ASI Air and and stuff like that that's trying to solve this problem they'll have a they'll have a tick box for dithering and it's something that I always look for in those sorts of solutions you do need to dither dither or die they say <laughs> there's your new shirt so. <laughs> now are there any other you know as someone who does YouTube I can't imagine I know Trevor does he you get a bajillion emails about you know what should I do here and what should I do there? Are there anything that you find that people should maybe stop and take a break and analyze more before it? And I know the bigger thing from yeah. what I see as a tech support person is yeah. you have too many people who buy, oh, I read all this stuff online, so I bought all this stuff, and now it doesn't work. It's like because you just threw everything in there mm. and you don't know what you're doing, you should take a break. Is there something that you see from people reaching out to you that's – that you would recommend for those getting started to maybe like it, slow it, down? I mean, that's the age old question, isn't it? What's the best first telescope or where do I start? And um, I'd, I've, I've got a video about this, but I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that because you can start anywhere and you just go, whatever you buy, whatever your first telescope is, it's going to be the wrong scope. You're going to buy another one after that because you want to do something different. There's no one scope that does everything. Uh, I went down the road of the Schmidt Cassegrains because I I really like how big they are, <laughs> like that long focal length, and that's a mistake. That's a real mistake for a beginner to go and get just the biggest telescope they can, because there's a lot of learning that goes into it, and it's really hard to tame that pixel scale when you're so far zoomed in. But I was up for the challenge, and that was actually the perfect decision for me. I'm happy to to I'm still shooting with Schmidt Cassegrain telescopes. I think they're great. Um, so in my, my facetious answer to that question, what telescope should you get or how should I start is, um, is you should buy the biggest telescope you can buy the best thing you can afford buy the most expensive one, because they're usually the better ones. Um, and I know that's the wrong answer, but, um, 
I got into this hobby with my heart and and my heart opened my wallet. <laughs> go big or go home. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, that's one thing that I, I try to tell a lot of people, especially when you're getting started in astrophotography is you have a lot of people who are, I think, trying to tiptoe into it. Like, you know, we've got our star adventure, which is a great little thing for what it is. But I find a lot of people like to buy these little tiny mounts and overload them with the biggest telescope yeah. that they can on them, which yeah. just puts you in a world of hurt. So, like, if you really want to do astrophotography, take that money and dump it into the biggest freaking mount that you can move around. <laughs> the mount and... is so valuable. Like, everything yeah. hinges on that mount. Um, you should spend, you should definitely spend more money on the mount than the telescope. If, if you do that, everything will work right. <laughs> it it tends to work out better, but I find a lot of people who want to, you know, put some ungodly thing on a star adventure or some people want to take our AZ GTI that's not meant for imaging by the way, um and convert it and do all these things to it and yeah, it's this tiny little package, mm. but it's it has so much headache at that point because everything's amplified when it's smaller. Mm. If you go mm. bigger, and you know you're going to end up there anyway. So if you've got something like a little tracker, just go something that's like that 40-pound payload class, like an EQ6R or like a Los Mondi mount or, you know, C-Gems or whatever. Just go to that tier of mount. And a lot of people are going to say, that's too much money, that's too big. It's like, yeah, but you're thinking right now. A year from now, you're going to be thankful that you made that investment. Because if you buy something small and less inexpensive now... yeah. A year from now, you're going to be like, well, now I'm in the same boat. Now I have to sell this to fund this. And, you know, and I, I should also caveat that 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 whole like buy a big mount thing that is that is important and necessary for deep space. And it's not always yes. all about deep space. Something you can just become a planetary guy and you don't even need an equatorial mount uh, or you can mm -hmm. just get it into lunar or solar. Or uh, one recommendation I have is just buying a DSLR camera and going out and doing wide field out. out mm -hmm. um, you don't even need a tracker. You just have a tripod in a dark sky. And all of that stuff is still astronomy. All of that stuff is still astrophotography. And it's all very fulfilling. Uh, it's just not as hard as the deep space stuff. So maybe deep space isn't the right place to start. Start with some of the easier stuff first and then work your way up to deep space as, uh, as you can afford it. It's not going anywhere, so there's not oh, a major it, rush. It could be, depending on the Starlink rollout and uh, yes. increasing uh, inability to see the night sky because of light pollution. So this is um, true. <laughs> yeah, maybe we're maybe we're living in the golden era right now. Well, then, it, then bye. Well, do what everybody else is. Bye, <laughs> bye, bye. So. Um, one thing I have noticed because we did talk about the cameras is and you're shooting longer focal length, it's almost, I don't know if there's going to be for the amateur level, you know, if you're doing research, but those long focal lengths, I find aren't becoming, they're not needed as much anymore because you could basically get that same resolution with like your Rasa 11 with a, you know, high pixel camera and you can still get that one arc second resolution. Yeah. So it seems like the one who's, you want to know who's really setting the astronomy trend is Sony that's who's setting the trends for astronomy mm. with their sensors. But right. um, yeah, you find that, I mean, you, you still have your edge 11, but I notice you shoot more with your Rosses now. Is that because of the pixel sizes and stuff like uh, that? It's, it's more for the targets. Um, right now I'm constantly, summer's about to come, uh, come by. So I'm concentrating on these big targets. So I did Andromeda and uh, 
I've got a few bigger nebulas that I'm, I'm trying to shoot. But you're right, there's a diminishing return when you have a camera with tiny pixels uh, and you're, you're way zoomed in, you're oversampling the image. So the stars uh, look very smooth. If you zoom in on them, they look very round and, and smooth, but there's no extra detail in any of those stars. You've just wasted mm. hundreds of pixels on one star where you didn't need to. Um, so that as the pixels get smaller, you do need to match the camera with the telescope and make sure that you're not oversampling or undersampling. If you're curious about that and you're thinking about, you know, mixing and matching cameras, telescopes, reducers, magnifiers, you do need to run all of that stuff through an astronomy calculator. I wrote one on the Bintel website, uh, bintel.com.au. And so if you go to their tools and go to the astronomy calculator, you can then plug in your telescope and your camera and you can see if you're sampling correctly. And this is really good for making purchasing decisions when you're thinking about your next camera or you're thinking about changing your telescope. So all your other gear stays the same. You've still got Barlow's and you've still got a particular camera, but you want to swap out the scope. Uh, this is a really good tool to just check to make sure that they're actually going to match. It's, it's not intuitive when you get into the hobby that you can't just put any camera on any telescope. They do actually have to match properly in terms of the pixel scale. So check uh, check that tool out and it, it should help you with those purchasing decisions. You know, it does help you get those, you know, when you're, when you're looking at these images that look like razor sharp, it's not just because seeing is a big player of that, but matching your pixels to your uh, telescope of choice yeah. is really what's going to benefit getting those sharp images. And you can always bend them too to help match better stuff Ooh. as well, but there's options out there to match those pixels to the telescope there. Um, we only have like 10 minutes left, so thanks for being <laughs> a, a good sport uh, today. Um, what's your thoughts, monochrome or color? Uh, always monochrome. <laughs> I mean, you were talking about vid doing video stuff and 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 seeing live views of the the sky. Uh, there's a you make sacrifices to do that, right? Because you firstly you want to see the image in color, so you need a one shot color camera to show someone a live video of space. So immediately you lose like sixty six percent of the potential resolution of the image because now you've got um, four pixels where there would have been one. Uh, and you, each each one of them is red, green, green, blue. So that that Bayer matrix has diminished your your um, quality of the image. Uh, and then you've got the the frame rate as well because you're taking um, a quick frame for a video. You're not exposing for so long, so the image is noisier and stuff like that. So then you start binning, and then you've halved your pixels again. And so you make all of these sacrifices for uh, for a particular thing. But the color is one of those major sacrifices. You should always, um, you should always go mono. <laughs> the, the exception to that rule is when you're trying to take an image of something transient like a comet and you need that color data and you don't have the time to swap out um, uh, filters between those frames. Uh, that's, that's a really good example of when it, it is good to use a uh, color camera. And, so, and sometimes it's just easier to use a color camera. But if you have the time and the patience and the image in front of you isn't moving from frame to frame, then I thoroughly recommend mono. I'm team mono all the way. Hashtag yeah. team mono. There you go. Um, <laughs> talk to your doctor. So. <laughs> but now we've got the same thing on our setup. It's monochrome. Um, even my live astronomy stuff, it's, it's generally a monochrome camera because I like that extra punch that yeah. it brings out. And I like being able to isolate the different wavelengths with the narrowband filters. And I know there's ways around that with color, 
But I do find that with color cameras, to equal what you could do on a monochrome camera, you just have to shoot more and longer. And that's the reason you should just get an observatory and stop worrying about it. So, because uh, you won't have to worry about time anymore. You just shoot to your heart's content. So, <laughs> Green also throws um, beginners when you get a one-shot color camera and you take your first image. And then you look at it and it's like, why is it so green? Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and and it really it's because of that green bias. There's an extra green pixel in there. And some cameras um, will compensate for that, particularly DSLR cameras. But um, when you're shooting Astro, those decisions aren't being made in camera. You have to make those decisions. So it just gives you the raw data and you've got that extra green pixel in there. You have to adjust for that. You have to um, color correct it and pull that green level right down to get it back to its natural colors. Yep. So there you go. Just get a monochrome camera. Don't worry <laughs> about it anymore. So it, you'll probably end up getting one later anyway. So just, you know, like the mount, just go get it right, right off the bat. You don't have to add all the filters at once. Just, you know. Hey, if I've only got a few, few more minutes on this show, can sure. I stroke my channel? Yeah. Cool. So um, check me out on YouTube. You can Google Dylan O'Donnell. I've spent a lot of time and effort making sure I am the number one Dylan O'Donnell when you go to Google. Uh, I've basically destroyed all the other Dylan O'Donnells on planet Earth in terms of the Google search ranking. I should be number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and all the way down the page. There are a few other Dylan O'Donnells. I think there's a baseball player and a theatre actor, but screw those guys. Just find my channel and subscribe to me. And uh, the more subscribers I have, the more money I make. And I really, really love money because then I can just buy more astronomy stuff. And then I get these opportunities to talk on other shows and I get sponsorships and I am, I am just a capitalist man. I will take all of that money and I will invest it all back into my observatory so I can take photos of space because this is an expensive hobby and I like doing it. So please uh, subscribe, subscribe on my YouTube and subscribe on my Twitch. I've just started um, twitching as well, not bird watching, but actually streaming on Twitch <laughs> and uh, Instagram. Instagram is where the, you'll actually see the fruits of my labors as images of space. And I hope you enjoy them there too. And remember, everything is meaningless and we're all going to die. So. <laughs> That's exactly right. Now that you've said that, we have to finish. Yep. Well, hey, Dylan, thanks for hanging out with me again. Um, hopefully we'll have you on again, not too soon from now. But um, uh, yeah, uh, thanks again. If you guys like what you see here, please leave a like and subscribe to our channel. Go over to Dylan's channel and check that out too. Maybe we can link stuff over somehow i know the youtube universe links can do that so. <laughs> yeah links in the description um gotta do the points um but yeah dylan thanks for hanging out with us uh thanks for having, having all of you here friday morning and uh, we'll see you next friday um have a great weekend and see you guys next time take care everyone bye bye